Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and welcome to a brand new segment that is starting today. And I'm calling it At Least Two Jews and a Gentile. And it's uh, because it's a brand new segment. Uh, The studio today kind of has that new car smell as we get into the topic of all things Jewish. And of course, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And as we study God's Word, we always need to study it in the context in which it was written and to the audience to whom it was written to. So that's always a very important uh, point uh, because this is our first episode. We all have name tags on, including me. My panel today are uh, my Jewish believers, Tom Berkowitz, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. And the Gentile is Pastor Aaron Broughton. So we will be taking questions. Uh, We'll always be open to comments that you have, and you're always welcome at any time in the show to send them over. You can text them to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Thank you to Kurt, who prayed for this segment. And let's get started. Tom, why don't you begin? Well, we thought we'd start at the beginning. What is a Jew? Who are these peculiar people that are one-tenth of one percent of the world's population? In fact, as of last uh, Yom Kippur, a couple weeks ago, uh, they put out that there's 15.6 million Jews worldwide. We're a rounding there. So why are they in the center of the paper on people's minds all over the scriptures, where did they start from, and what? how did that happen? Let me just skip back to where God picked a fight with Satan in Genesis 3.15 after he, he led uh, Adam and Eve away. In Genesis 3.15, he said, there's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So, which seed? There's 8 billion people in the world today. So as we move forward, and as he did a restart in Genesis 6, we come to really Genesis 11, where he confounded everyone's language. And then he picks a couple, a family, Abraham and Sarah, who weren't even numbered in the, in the, uh, in the nations. And he calls out the... Abram, and he says, take your family, pack your bags, go about seven, 800, 900 miles to a land that I'm going to show you. And then he tells him, I'm going to make a great nation through you. And what's more, I'm going to give you this land, and this land is going to be yours. And I'm going to give you descendants physically, and you're also going to bless the Gentiles, the nations. The problem was Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. And 
he reconfirmed this covenant with Abraham, with Abram in Genesis 15. Abram believed what he said and was credited to him as righteousness. But from the first call until when he showed up 25 years later, there was no physical descendant of Abraham's through Sarah. He had a son, Ishmael, through uh, a slave girl, Hagar, but he did not have one through Sarah, who was part of the original calling. Mm -hmm. So he took a woman whose womb was good as dead, in fact, it was dead, and caused her to have a baby. So from death, he brings life, and that's a symbol of what God is doing throughout. He tells Abram back in uh, Genesis 15 that your descendants, your family is going to go down into a land that is not their own. They're going to be enslaved, and I'm going to bring them out in 400 years, and they're going to be a nation. So then God chose the Jewish people. Out of all the nations in the world, he chose the Jewish people, and then he entered into a marriage covenant with them. Exodus 19 and Exodus 24, uh, from Hebraic perspective, God made a ketubah with them. That's a a marriage contract. And Israel said, I do. So now there is in the desert. Moses has them and God speaks through them. uh, Through Moses to them saying. I chose you. Amongst all the nations. Imagine if this was a wedding and you get somebody up to say to the bride, I chose you, but you were the worst of all the bunch. You didn't bring anything to the table, but I still chose you. In fact, you don't give me anything, but I chose you. You're the least of all the people, but I chose to put my love on you. And with that, that's how the Jewish people started. Fantastic. Thank you, Tom Berkowitz. All right, because I think it's important that we get to know everyone sitting around the table. I wonder if you would each take a little bit of time and share your testimony. And I'd like to start with my Messianic uh, Jewish friends. Uh, Matt, would you be willing to go first? Matt Fry. Yeah, sure. Yep. So some of my background here uh, is I uh, I was born in a suburb right outside of Philadelphia, actually. And uh, my family... And I, uh, we moved to Florida, uh, right on the Gulf Coast, about 30 minutes from the beach when I was about uh, 12, 13 years old. And the reason I remember that is because I was right in the middle of bar mitzvah training. <laughs> uh, and so that was quite a transition for me. Um, so my mom is uh, Jewish. So she comes from uh, a line of Russian-Polish Jews uh, uh, through uh, her grandpa or from her, my grandpa, her father. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and my dad is non-Jewish. So I guess technically I'd be half Jewish in that sense. But, uh, yeah, my sister and I were raised, uh, in a conservative kind of nominal Jewish context. Um, and so we would, uh, go to, uh, Hebrew school. We would go to some Friday, Saturday, uh, Shabbat, uh, you know, evening and morning, uh, services. Uh, and we went to a conservative uh, synagogue. So we'd show up at the high holidays. If you know the Jewish community, then the Jews come out of the woodwork when the high holidays roll around, like we're we're in right now here in Sukkot. And uh, and so yeah, it's a it was a really interesting experience. Great way to to grow up. When I was in high school, 
uh, we had gone to a uh, uh, ultra orthodox uh, Hasidic uh, congregation, which was actually a very meaningful uh, experience with Judaism. Part of that was the the rabbi was young, so he was very relatable. They actually started meeting in a house. So if you're familiar with the house church movement, it was that equivalent kind of in a synagogue form, and so uh, it's very relational, kind of feeling like you're a part of something right at the outset. And yeah, it was it was really a a, a good experience for me. Um, so. Uh, when I got to college age, I, I came up here to the University of Minnesota. Uh, some of the background for that is uh, I grew up uh, as a gymnast, was my sport, and so I was recruited uh, to come up here. So a number of Big Ten schools I was looking at, uh, Minnesota was the one that I chose, and I came up here intending to be a doctor, and the Lord had other plans for me. And, and so he uh, He opened his hand, you might say, and he allowed me to come up here and start making a whole lot of decisions that I should not have made. Uh, so I was really, I came up here confronted um, in a lot of ways with with some of my bad decision-making and the consequences of that, uh, whether they were sinful, whether they were foolish, or a little bit of both there. And uh, so I'm looking at my situation, right, and I'm watching myself uh, not succeeding in athletics in the way that I would have liked to. I'm looking at my schooling and my grades and kind of my my vocational future, watching that kind of um, slip away. And I was really confronted with my own brokenness. Mm-hmm. And in God's providence, some of the beauty of this was that my dad was uh, a believer before I was. And so my situation was not uh, you know, I've never heard the gospel. I wasn't, you know, it was not a, a lack of familiarity with what Christians believed. It was getting to a point where I realized that that Messiah is my Messiah and that I needed that forgiveness and I needed that new life. Uh, and so uh, around sophomore, junior year, gave my life to the Lord uh, and he started working on me and I went into the crucible, as some might say, and really gave me a passion uh, to uh, read and study God's word and to teach it to other people. And so by the time I got to the end of my college career, uh, I uh, was convinced I was going to go plant a church. And so after that, went on to seminary at Bethel uh, and then went on to pastor an evangelical free church for four years. And then most recently uh, transitioned into a role with Chosen People Ministries, which has been a huge blessing. Uh, and in, in the present, my, my role expresses itself in that I, I lead a congregation called Grafted in uh, Dinah here. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, Pastor Aaron Broughton, I, I must say, as the as the Gentile in the group, you have to help me because did you hear Matt use the word Sukkot? Yes, I did. Now, in in this environment, we have to explain what a word like that means. (laughs) So you're going to have to help me call this kind of things out, okay? Well, I think we'll end up speaking Jewish as we go along with this program. I'm sure. (laughs) But Matt, maybe you would explain what Sukkot means. Yep. So Sukkot. Uh, is one of the fall feasts or fall festivals, as we would put it. Uh, and Sukkot is just the Hebrew term for booths or tabernacles. So some of us are more familiar with the term like the Feast of Tabernacles, mm-hmm. right? We're thinking about uh, scriptural language. Uh, and so it's actually going on right now, and it's finishing up on Friday. Uh, and what it is, it's essentially a time where uh, Jewish people remember that Israel was wandering through uh, the wilderness and that God had brought them out in the Exodus, obviously, and they were in the wilderness making their way to the promised land and they were in booths. They were in Sukkot and, and they remember the, the kind of the frailty of the situation, but also God's providence in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're listening to a brand new segment, which I'm very excited about, called At Least Two Jews and a Gentile. And our, my, my, my panel today is uh, Trevor Rubenstein, Aaron Broughton, Matt Fry, and Tom Berkowitz. And Trevor, I'm going to ask you to go next. Give your your short testimony. I know you've been on the show before. You've been on Guy Talk several times, and we love you here at Faith Radio. So maybe you could just 
give that version of your testimony. Yeah, well, let's start off with, uh, if you would have known me before I knew Jesus, you wouldn't so much as love me in the same <laughs> ways, I don't think, brother. But, uh, but yeah, so I I'm, uh, was born and raised in a uh, what's called a conservative Jewish home, conservative Judaism, meaning that you can serve the traditions of your ancestors up in uh, Virginia, Minnesota. So that's uh, in the Iron Range. Um and uh it was a there's a small jewish community up there when i was when i was living in that place but uh historically there was a larger one we have a cemetery synagogues up there jewish cemetery so it's an established jewish community in that area but when i was young we moved to the uh, littleton colorado area um i was a uh uh, I think the best way of describing it is a uh, unprescribed pharmaceutical test engineer for most of my youth, <laughs> and uh, and did so as we spoke about on uh, on a previous program, Bill, uh, because more so because of uh, fitting in, finding ways to fit into a community, to be accepted, to be loved, um, and uh, so I actually led to my expulsion from school, in which case I uh, eventually got into a local community college in which I was duped into a Bible study uh, mm-hmm. by a cult, funny enough. But they used the words of Jesus. They used the actual Bible, um, in which case, after reading his words, I became overwhelmed by the presence of God, which is a difficult thing for a Jewish person to deal with because uh, we're taught that the one thing that we cannot believe in is Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And, but yet he was. it was through reading his words that I experienced God. So after struggling with this for a while, I uh, gave my life to the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was suicidal every day before and and afterward it was gone. So so Jesus, for me, uh, is is the only reason I'm alive today. Like there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I was in the process of, of ending my life and trying very hard to do that. And afterward, not only did... He gave me um, a temporal life because uh, he died so I could have it, right, and, and showed me value and, and how, how much he loved me and things of that nature. But uh, but also he gives us eternal life, and, and that's through putting our faith and trust in him and recognizing that no matter how horrible we were, and I, I clearly is the worst person I know. I, I don't think that there's any question about that. I could even probably say the same today uh, apart from the work that Jesus does in me. Um, I'm not a good person apart from what he does. So, so, you know, that there's a constant reminder and by the grace of God, um, after coming to believe in Jesus, uh, he, he motivated me to try to reach lost people. So I've really focused in areas that I was uh, most familiar with. I worked in drug and alcohol rehab for, um, for a little bit of time and I uh, worked in reaching out to cults for quite a while by the grace of God I never joined that organization but always developed a heart to reach people who were pulled into these organizations as a result and and maybe even most importantly um, for me my, my heart was for my lost family uh, they're the most wonderful people I know couldn't have been kinder couldn't have been uh, more generous and more compassionate towards me even in all my troubles but yet they didn't have eternal life because they did not accept Jesus I was the first person in my family's history uh, history I mean forever to believe in Jesus um, from the Jewish ancestry as Tom established so clearly so um, so anyway uh, my heart became to reach them so I started studying intently 
historical rabbinical Judaism, uh, understanding the beliefs and practices of the people to be able to reach them, and by the grace of God. Today I function uh, with an organization called Chosen People Ministries, where we uh, where our goal is to reach Jewish people with the gospel. And uh, something interesting about uh, Matt and I both working for this organization is I think that we can both credit our current employment to Mr. Berkowitz here. So uh, it was only <laughs> through his connections that we did that. And actually, it's only through his connections that we're even here today. But, mm, so, uh, fascinating. So yeah, we're blessed by by, I got to. I got to be nicer to Tom all of a sudden, <laughs> which uh, is kind of troubling for me. But anyway, we're going to move ahead. Thank you, uh, Trevor Rubenstein. We're going to take a little break and continue our brand new segment called "At Least Two Jews and a Gentile." We're going to learn all kinds about the Jewish tradition, and we're going to study God's Word in its context, as we always do around here. But uh, we've got uh, three Messianic Jewish brothers and a Gentile, and so that's the plan. Uh, whenever we do the show, we're going to have at least two Messianic Jews and one Gentile. That's the plan. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have this brand new segment uh, today. It's going to hopefully air uh, twice a month, and it's called At Least Two Jews and a Gentile as we study uh, all things Judaism and we learn about our uh, Jewish Savior, Jesus. And today I've got uh, Tom Berkowitz, Matt Fry, Aaron Broughton, and Trevor Rubenstein as my guests, and we've been talking about uh, getting to know the panel because they will be a recurring panel, which I'm looking forward to. Now, Tom, you opened up our uh, our hour today, and we'd like to hear a little bit of your testimony as well. Sure. Unlike uh, Matt and Trevor, I was raised in a secular home. God wasn't the, the center of anything that we did. Although, when I was growing up, I lived with God, and that was my father. Hmm. And then on... One fateful day on April 8th, 1967, when I was 17 years old, a senior in high school, not knowing what I was going to do post-high school, my dad got in an argument with me over that lack of direction and perspective. And the argument was no little one. It was a, a hard one. And about three minutes later, my dad had a massive heart attack. I went to pick him up, and he died in my arms. And I was devastated. It was a Saturday, so we had to wait until sundown to go talk to the rabbi. And during that whole time, you can imagine what I was going through. We sat in the rabbi's uh, chambers, and I perceived that he insulted my mother. So I cursed him and the God he served and ran out. And... That's my view of God. Uh, my high school football coach called uh, a local football coach at Augsburg College, Edor Nelson, and Edor helped me get in the school because it was really late. Luckily, I had good grades. Um, so I went to Augsburg, and Augsburg was a Lutheran college. I'm a Jewish boy, so I was kind of like their token minority program there. There's only... <laughs> two other ones in the whole school. And I made a vow to myself, I'm going to keep away from religion, although they made me take two religion classes to graduate. 
But what kept reoccurring in my head is what my grandmother told me when I was 10 years old. My grandparents came from Orthodox Judaism, and my grandmother sat me down, told me that we are Jews, what our responsibility was, and she said something very interesting. Beware of Christians. They kill their own. And so she said, what do you think they're going to do to you? And we had experienced anti-Semitism growing up. We used to fight the the Gentile boys uh, every Easter and every Christmas, as they called us Christ killers. So that was our my understanding of that. Well, I managed to go through four years of college with without ever stepping foot in the chapel. Well, then during that whole time, I found this beautiful girl from southwestern Minnesota and asked her to marry me. And she decided she would do that. So at one of her family things was at the chapel where they were honoring her father and her brother, and I got to go along, and that was my first time in the chapel there. And they sang a song that even to this day keeps rattling around in my brain. We'll know that you are Christians by your love, by your love. And I said, whatever they're smoking, I want it. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. As I married into the family... Lloyd Nevy, my father and mother-in-law, although they didn't preach the gospel to me in words, they lived it out. And I watched how they lived. And it was kind of like they were provoking me to a godly jealousy. I didn't know then what I know now, that the hound of heaven was starting to soften my brick-hard heart. I thought they fell in from another planet. I've never seen people like this. As the years went on, and I was still, I could feel getting a little softer, my college roommate, my closest friend, became a born-again Christian, and I became his first recruit. (laughs) And he shared the gospel with me. He broke every caricature of a Christian that there was. He wasn't old. He wasn't a woman. He wasn't a child, and he wasn't a pastor. He was an all-American hockey player. He was successful in business. And when I asked him the most theological question I could ask him, because up until that time, my, one of my favorite pastimes is engaging Christians in debate and making fools of them. I was kind of a caustic personality when it came to religion. He said, Tom, I know that Jesus is alive because he lives in my heart. And when I looked into his deep blue eyes, it was like I saw into his heart and it kind of exploded my caricatures of a Christian. Well, he gave me all kinds of books, Born Again, Mere Christianity. But I, in my mind, thought I had to grab the Bible. I had to read the Gospels and If I could disprove Jesus, everything falls. So I read the Gospels, and I know this for a fact. It was at least 50 times. I just keep reading them over and over. How do I know it was 50 times? Because it was about 25, 30 days later that I finally broke down. And I read them two, sometimes three times a day. One day, 
I wandered in to Paul's writings in Romans. Up until that time, I had not read anything else because if Jesus wasn't true, the rest of it was baloney. So at that time, I read in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for you in this, in this way, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. When I read those words, what I really read, God demonstrates his love for you, Tom, in this way, while you were still not performing up to expectation, Messiah died for you. I'm the oldest son of a Jewish man. I was expected to perform. Love was best on my, uh, or based on my performance, and I never performed up to expectation, partially because they kept moving the goal. Right there, when I read that verse, it shattered me. And on my knees, I asked Jesus into my heart. Fantastic, Tom Berkowitz. Thank you for that uh, powerful testimony. Um, all right, uh, the token Gentile, uh, Aaron Broughton, uh, follow that. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, I just enjoy hearing testimonies of people coming to know to know Jesus as the Messiah, Jew and Gentile. Yes. And so I praise the Lord for that. My personal story, I grew up in northern Minnesota, a town called Brainerd, and uh, I actually was born into a Lutheran family, sprinkled as a baby, the whole works. But when I was probably around four years of age, my parents started going to a, uh, another church that preached the gospel in their area, and they started working at a Bible camp uh, up in that region. And uh, I remember as a young child, probably around four years of age or so. I remember the pastor of the camp preaching a message on salvation, understood that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and only Jesus could take care of my sin. And I remember uh, that day giving my heart to the Lord. And uh, to the, that's probably my first vivid memory of my childhood, to be honest with you, but clear as crystal. clearly remember that today. But uh, I, even at that age uh, in growing up, I just wanted to do whatever the Lord would call me to do. And so um, I had actually started uh, studying Judaism when I was 13. You can say I kind of give myself my own bar mitzvah. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, I just had a really interest and had a couple different sources, some uh, some messianic sources actually that influenced me. And then finally, my senior year of high school was able to go to Israel on a study trip. And that's, I mean, I tell you what, everyone should take a trip to Israel. It'll just change everything, your perspective of scripture, who Jesus is, everything. And so it was on that trip that God really put upon my heart a burden to go to the Jew first, Romans 1.16, that the gospel is to the Jew first, and praise God also to the Gentile. And so, uh, but that trip just opened my heart. And then finally, uh, about two years later, I did my internship in Israel, working with uh, actually my future in-laws. I didn't know it at the time. God had his, the plan all worked out. And so God called me actually to uh, to serve in Israel. So uh, my wife and I, we got married, and then... Uh, but shortly after that, we moved to Tel Aviv, Jaffa, and there we were ministering in a nonprofit uh, humanitarian aid organization that helped new immigrants coming into Israel. And then also I was a pastor of an international church reaching both Jew and Gentile in downtown Tel Aviv. And so the Lord just richly blessed that work. And uh, in 2010, our family came home. Uh, we had a son that was born with some medical condition, and so we ended up working at our home office. Uh, we've been serving with International Board of Jewish Missions for nearly 25 years now, so I've been involved in Jewish ministry for a long time, and uh, God has uh, worked in a tremendous way. One of my great blessings has been uh, we had a, um, a museum that I was the curator and tour guide of, the Everlasting Nation Museum, still operation, and we have Jews and Gentiles coming through there every day and really being exposed to who Jesus is and the story of the Jewish people uh, through the love of the Messiah. And so about three years ago, God redirected our attention again 
I want to say that when God calls you, he's consistent the way he's called you in the past. And so the Lord called us back to Minnesota. And now I am serving as pastor at Victory Baptist Church in Maple Grove, the northwest metro of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And uh, God has done some amazing things. And again, our heart's desire as a church is to have a heart for the Jewish people as well as our Gentile neighbors. And so it's got to be to the Jew first or to the Jew last. Somehow we need to reach them. And so uh, I tell you what, I love these this group of guys around here. I'm excited about this program. No, oh, I am too. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you very much, Pastor Aaron Broughton. All right. And God well, bless you for the heart you have for the Jewish people. Amen. Yeah. So those are the players that we have around the studio table today. Our segment is called At Least Two Jews and a Gentile. And we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to start getting into content. And you can always text questions over because I know you've got a lot of them. Uh, if you have any question about Judaism or anything uh, of in Scripture that you want to know its proper context, let me know. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. If you just climbed in your car, thanks for tuning in. Brand new segment today called At Least Two Jews and a Gentile. Something I'm very excited about as I love my Messianic Jewish brothers and I have my token Gentile pastor here as well. So we've got all the bases covered. You might be wondering, Bill, why are you doing this program? And that's a great question. And I think I'll look uh, your direction, Trevor. Maybe you can uh, help answer that. Sure, Bill. Yeah, praise God. What what a blessing, Bill, that you're uh, uh, allowing us to introduce this to your audience and uh, really to speak about things that are so in the forefront of our hearts. And, and I think that really the text that stands out re- regarding um, the context and the, the purpose for this program uh, might be out of Romans chapter 9. When we start in verse 1, Paul gives this introduction. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. So he's emphasizing how incredibly important these next statements are. He, he's, he couldn't be more passionate about what he's about to state. And then he goes on and says, says that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. This is a very important statement where Paul is, sta- is stating just very clearly that he would rather have himself condemned so that the people of Israel could achieve their salvation. That, of course, as we all of us recognize, only comes through Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 4, he goes on and states that who are Israelites? to whom pertain, and these are the things now that the church has taken on or has learned from that comes out of the people of Israel, and it's who pertain the adoption, the adoption into the new covenant promise of Jesus who dies for our sin and then raises again from the dead. According to the new covenant as stated by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, that the new covenant originally is intended for Israel and Judah. 
And then from that, it becomes adopted from the Gentile nations. It becomes uh, it becomes opened up, not just to Israel, but to others. And it says the glory, meaning the very presence of God, the covenants, the things that God has entered into agreement with, with humanity coming from the people of Israel, as Tom brought up earlier, the story of Abraham and the covenant that God made with him regarding bringing him to a land and giving him seed and the seed who is Jesus himself, uh, who eventually would bless the nations, the giving of the law. The law so important and, and so powerful, the very shadow of the things that very much point to the Lord. Clearly, God calls the people of Israel into very much the center of the world, into a place in between Europe and Asia and Africa. He tells them to, he gives them very specific instructions. And, and one of the primary reasons for these instructions is so that the nations in seeing these things will recognize the one true God. The services of God, the service of God, the promises, the things that God has given again is going to the new covenant and to the, the promises of the Lord, the preservation of his people of Israel, the, the, his promise of reaching the world through this person, Abraham, all comes again through the, his descendants through this people group of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternal blessed God. Amen. Jesus himself being of this ancestry. So even so much of the text that we read when we're going through the scripture is coming out of the context of a first century Jewish man living in the nation of Israel. And this so much adds to our understanding in the depth of our faith. Beautiful, Trevor. The thing that really impresses me about Paul there is you got to think of Moses when mm. Moses was offered by God to start a new Jewish people, to be the father of them. And Moses says, no, no, for your name's sake, I can't do that. Paul was that zealous. He would have given up his salvation that his people, his kinsmen according to the flesh, could be saved. Mm. That's the kind of love we need, kind of zeal mm. that we need. And it's, uh, I think it's important to note uh, when we look at that new covenant promise that's given in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31, that there's a component to that that is just very clear that it, it doesn't end Israel. It's, it states this, uh, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah in Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one. It continues and says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And so this is very much the new covenant that Jesus institutes of forgiveness of sin, of the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit coming to dwell with us. Mm -hmm. Very much that, but it doesn't end there. It goes on and says, 
Thus says the Lord God, who gives the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars by light by night, who disturbs the sea and waves its roar, the Lord is his name. If those ordinances depart, which ordinances? That the sun is in the, is in the uh, sky in the day, and the moon and the stars are in the sky at night, and the sea has waves. If those ordinances stop, then God says, from being before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all they have done, says the Lord. Just very clearly, part of the new covenant is God's preservation of his people. Yeah. And he's been faithful to that. Amen. We're we're witnesses to that. <laughs> yeah. I think I think one idea to bounce off. I'll put my pastor view in it. So when oh, you look here at here comes God, the Gentile. Okay. All right. <laughs> so when you look at Abraham, God promised Abraham that your seed is going to be like what? As the stars of the heaven, that they're going to be in place. They have a purpose for being there, and it's going to be yeah. beyond his imagination. I mean, you have Abraham, and as Tom said earlier. Uh, that uh, really the, the it's a miracle that the Jewish people are even here. I mean, you look at Abraham and Sarah. I mean, everyone would have cast them off. They're here. And God says, I'm going to make you as the stars of the heaven, the sands mm-hmm. on the seashore. Mm-hmm. And then you look at this promise here with this covenant and that God will not break it. He's true to his word. What God says he will do. Amen. Yeah. I think the way that I've heard Trevor put it that I think is really helpful, and I've actually used this when I'm speaking at churches, is that the the miracle of Israel is twofold, right? They're miraculously created and they're miraculously preserved. And I think that's something to to remember. And like you said, we're literally witnessing that right now. Amen. Right. I was at a discussion party, something I hated, but Marsha dragged me there. And they're talking about worldview. And they had a, a Jew who was up who didn't believe. And he was just having fun with the Gentile believers throwing out different objections. So finally, I asked him a question. Do you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And he said, absolutely not. Mm. I said, then what makes you a Jew? Mm. Yep. And he started spouting the common line. Well, my mother is my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and so on down the line. And I said, you made the very point that there is a God that you should believe in. Because what other people have lost their land and their language for 2,000 years and remained a distinct people? After two or three, four generations, their history. Mm-hmm. But through the, the Romans, through the Crusades, through the Spanish Inquisitions, through the po- Russian pogroms, and through the Holocaust, we're still here. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because God is faithful to his promise. He made three promises to Abraham— that you'd have, he'd have physical descendants, that he would have a land, and that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't keep that promise, God's a liar, and then none of us have a hope for a future. Nicely done, Tom Berkowitz. Thank mm-hmm. you uh, for tuning in today. Our new segment is called At Least Two Jews and a Gentile. Of course, your questions are always w- welcome. You can text them over to 877-933-2484. And they'll all go in a mailbag, and we'll try to answer them all at once. We're just getting started. This is our first episode ever. Hopefully, it will air on Wednesdays. That's the time I've got it slotted. And according to Wyatt, he says he can get this to work on Wednesday. So I'm looking forward to that. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. 
Welcome to the show. I'm having a great first episode ever of At Least Two Jews and a Gentile. My my panel today is Trevor, Aaron, Matt, and Tom. And I guess because we're trying to lay the foundation of the show and get it started, maybe one of the great questions we should ask is, what is a Jew? And I'm looking at the Gentile to go ahead and lead that discussion. Aaron, go ahead. You know, it's like I was just walking down the hall. I thought this was the break room in here. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you made you made a wrong turn, my friend. <laughs> no, I tell you what, this is a great group of guys here and just talking. Uh, really, we share in common our love for, for Jesus, love for the Jewish people. Uh, but even as a pastor, I deal with this question even within my own church, which is predominantly Gentile. And um, I shared with them a story when we were living in Israel with our humanitarian aid organization. And a lot of times we would say that these gifts, they were humanitarian aid products, food, blankets, et cetera. And we said, these are given to you by Christians who love Jewish people, who want to be a blessing to you, according to Genesis twelve three. Uh, and then, you know, we said, you know, we believe that you are the chosen people. One of, there was a Russian lady. Uh, just recently came to Israel, and she said, well, for the chosen people, what are we chosen for? Persecution? And we just try to share, well, this we still love you, and, you know, it really broke down some walls. But so I got a question for the guys here. What exactly does it mean to be Jewish? Where do we start? We talked about Abraham and that lineage, but is there something more to it? Or there's a lot of confusion, even in Gentiles, but I know in Jewish circles as well. So, yeah. Um, Matt, how about you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the way that I navigate this when we first start talking about it is just making this list or what of the what are the ways that people conceptualize what it means to be Jewish, right? Like we, we might all we'll have our distinct answers as we think through this, but but I think maybe we just brainstorm what are some of those ways, right? Like I think there there's two ways that I, I usually process this. You have uh, to be Jewish in terms of a people group or an ethnic heritage, right? But on the other hand, sometimes this gets confused or convoluted with Judaism, right? The the you might say the religion of the rabbis post AD, right? And so when someone says they're Jewish, it's like, well, are you talking ethnically as a people group, or are you talking about that you practice Judaism, right? So I think those are two things. But I think one of the things that we see solidly in Scripture, as we talked about in Genesis twelve, is that there's a distinct people group dynamic to that. Thank you for that, Matt Fry. Who else wants to jump in? Yeah, so uh, I think a text that's that's real important regarding this question is in Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine, verse twenty nine, and in and in Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, we have the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the people that united themselves to mm-hmm. these individuals, mm-hmm. and they make this statement regarding the Mosaic covenant. It says this: uh, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So there clearly is a ethnic component to the heritage and it looks like it's something that's passed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt gave his story earlier and his mother is Jewish, which actually according to rabbinical Judaism makes you a hundred percent Jewish because the rabbis deter the Orthodox rabbis in particular determine it is for through your mother's line. Um, but according to this, and we don't necessarily see that clearly spoken of throughout the text, there's uh, some arguments, I guess, but not, not necessarily the stronger ones, but it just seems to say ancestry is a component. But in addition to ancestry, it seems to also align 
with a connection to this command, these land covenant that God made with these people in Israel. And and we also uh, hear the question about Jew, and, and why does the term Jew mean? What is, aren't they Hebrews? And uh, while the ancestry would be similar, the term Jew doesn't necessarily stem exclusively from the tribe of Judah, but all of the tribes then that eventually moved down into the nation of Judah, which was the final nation before the captivity in to Babylon were referred to as Jews. We see this referred to in the diaspora text. Well, in fact, when Israel became a nation again in 1948, the big debate is, what is our name? Palestine, which is the name the Romans gave, Israel or Judah? And the Mm -hmm. vote was between Israel and Judah, and it was... A heated vote, but Israel won out. Mm. Yeah, and and that that's the it's it's the nation national name. Of course, people from all of the tribes of Israel lived in Judah, and so we see that. But there is a national heritage that's clearly associated. I think some of the confusion sometimes comes out of a, a uh, as, as Matt was bringing up the religious system or the or the national identity historically, or at least uh, at least in uh, development, the terms. Judaism, Judaic, these terms really would traditionally refer to a religious system where Jewish, Jewishness would really refer to an ethnicity. But as these people didn't have a country to identify with for a long time, the way that they often would identify their national identity is through a religious system, so it became convoluted. Um, But but the the typical Jewish uh, uh, expression for what is a Jew is a family is typically how I hear the rabbis express it. Um, Because it's, it's people that are unified either through biology or through belief. The way I I try to explain it to people, and especially from Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul talks about Israel. We can use that as symbolic of all Jews. He, think of it as a pie. He talks about a faithful remnant, those who believe. So that's a slice out of the pie. The rest of the pie is unbelieving Jews who don't believe in Jesus the whole pie is Israel. Mm-hmm. I think this this just brings up some practical wisdom, even if we're going to think about like, hey, how do we apply some of the things that we heard today? I think one of the things to bring up is if you have Jewish friends or family and you're having a conversation about them being a Jew, I think, number one, you ask the question of, okay, so does that mean you practice Judaism or are you talking about your, your ethnic heritage? Like, what, what does it mean? And then I think at, from an evangelistic perspective in, in trying to share the gospel I think, Tom, you're you're right on, right? What is a Jew? What does it mean to be Jewish? And I think fundamental to that is an allegiance to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think all of us around this table would say you follow that allegiance to God's Messiah, Jesus, right? The, the incarnate God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The thing that's unique is even the secular or atheist Jews, most of them either uh, stop and celebrate Shabbat, especially in Israel, and they certainly do Passover. Yeah. It's something that unites us as Jews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nicely done, gentlemen. All right. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left, and I'm so grateful for everyone gathering today. Uh, let me ask, when you are referred to as a Messianic Jew, is that something you prefer to be called, or is there another way to better address uh how you would describe yourself. Matt Fry, you start, please. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, I mean, I, 
I don't think any of us have an issue with that, right? Like, I, I think all of us, Jewish or non-Jewish, if we're a follower of Jesus, we're messianic, right? We follow the Messiah. So I yeah. think that that's in that. I think historically speaking, messianic Judaism as a movement has its own connotations and it's kind of its own, you, I don't know if you would say denomination, but maybe tradition uh, within the church universal, right? And so there, there's definitely connotations and dynamics that are within that. I think the language that I usually use with people is, is that I would say I'm a Jewish believer, right? Versus a non-Jewish believer or a Gentile uh, believer. So, so it depends. Or if I'm talking, if, if I'm talking to someone that's uh, Jewish and not a follower of Jesus, you might call them a, a traditional Jew, right? Or a, in our circles, maybe you would say someone that's a, a non-believing Jewish person. Mm. Tom, Trevor? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Messianic Jew is an easy way of explaining it. We're at a social function with a couple unbelieving Jews, and Marcia said, well, Tom's a Messianic Jew. And I looked at him, and they gave me the blank stare. What is that? <laughs> and I said, well, that's a Jew who believes in Jesus. And they said, well, that's nice. You know, <laughs> they, they don't know away? how to react. <laughs> <laughs> I had him in the corner, so yeah, okay. they stayed there. You're smart, Tom. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and I think that uh, that it's becoming more recognized as to a Jewish believer in Jesus in the Jewish yeah. community for what that means. But yeah. amongst the uh, greater Christian world, it can mean other things. Sometimes Gentile people who want to worship in a more Jewish manner might call themselves Messianic Jews. Right. And that might be a little different than how we identify ourselves with our Jewish identity through ancestry. Mm-hmm. So so there can be a little confusion in that. But again, uh, it's it's not anything that I think is offensive to most Jewish people I know. No. I think Matt wrestled that pretty good for a gymnast. He, he put it to the mat. I thought he did a fantastic job. You all did spectacular. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, being here today and participating in a brand new segment of the show. It's been a delight having everyone here. Uh, Trevor, Aaron, Matt, Tom, thank you so much. That's our show for the day. Thank you for listening and supporting Faith Radio. It's been a delight being with you. I look forward to next time we're together. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.